Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Welcome here this morning. We are in uh, our, uh, the book of Hebrews this morning. Oh, wait a second. I just started the wrong sermon, so we better start over again. Uh, that's just a little burn for Neil. Actually, I did that on purpose, uh, not just as a joke on Neil, but uh, to point this out. Neil, actually, uh, I appreciate his dedication so much. He worked last night, overnight, uh, and got off this morning sometime around 7, and then comes here to practice and then do the service for us. And so um, I appreciate all of our uh, people that dedicate so much to helping us put on Sunday morning services and... Uh, it's another reason why we've got these props up here this morning, and you can see some footsteps. Uh, maybe you were following them as you came in this morning. This is, I want to give props to uh, Kelsey and Joan for their props. This is uh, part of the, the kids' set that they do every week, and uh, every Sunday morning, you wouldn't recognize the stage. It's full. If you've, maybe if you have already, you've seen it online for the kids' service. If you haven't, check it out. But uh, the, the platform is just re. Uh, transformed into a whole set for the kids, and this is a part of uh, a part of that. So they do such a great job, and uh, yeah. So if you haven't brought your kids or your grandkids out to church in a while, or or been a part of that, register for that. Take that in. That's so good. So props to them for all that they do, and Neil and and the music team too, and the tech guys, and and so on and so forth. Um, all right. So for real. We are in week three of our Know Your Foe series, and this is a a whole series where we're talking about Satan, um, which is not our favorite topic, uh, not something that we delve into a lot or very often, but it is something that we thought was important that we do look at, and so we decided that we were going to take this on and and, um, spend five weeks here, actually, so we're just over the hump here this morning. Uh, Pastor Bruce will be here next week talking about the second part of this uh, particular area that we're in. So far, though, uh, we've looked at who Satan is. We've looked at his objectives, what, are, what his objectives are, and then the primary strategy that he uses to go about accomplishing those objectives, which is to say that he uses lies and deceit as his primary go-to method to suck us into his, his uh, objectives of either keeping us blind in our faith and or nullifying us in our effectiveness in the faith. And so we've looked at those three sort of areas. This morning, though, we are looking at the whole idea of how he accomplishes those tactics, what tactics he uses, which is to say that he has different ways that he goes about accomplishing those objectives, Um, using lies and deceit, but in different ways. And this morning, we're going to look at the first one, which we're calling the direct attack or or the direct assault. And then next week, Pastor Bruce is going to come, and he's going to talk about the indirect attacks or indirect assaults on us. 
So this, this morning, is where we look at Satan and he comes straight for us. It's just mano a mano, him against us, and he's going to show up right in your face, kind of like a showdown, and try and overpower us, try and suck us in, divert us, whatever, to his agenda. And so Peter, the Apostle Peter, refers to this in a verse that we started with last week, 1 Peter 5, 8. But we'll pay more, a little bit more attention now to the end of that verse this morning. Last week we talked about it as, in terms of being alert and of sober mind because we have an enemy, your enemy, the devil. But Peter continues, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. But before we dive in and go there, would you just join with me in prayer? We'll ask God again, again to come and speak to us today. Father, this morning, as we spend this time now looking at our adversary, Satan, again, God, we would pray that by your Spirit that you would come and that you would help us to understand him better, that you would help us to understand his tactics and, and uh, his assaults, his attacks um, more perceptibly so that we would be able to uh, avert them, uh, that we would be able to defend against them uh, that much more adeptly. And so to that end, we would just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would speak to us, that you would remove the distractions that would keep us from uh, not paying attention today, not hearing from you today, uh, even now as he tries to accomplish things like that. So to that end, I pray, I ask these things all in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right. So did you know, did you know that lions can actually move at up to 50 miles per hour? Miles per hour. We talk a lot about cheetahs being fast cats. But the lion can get out and he can haul when he needs to. Short distances only, of course. But he can move up to 50 miles per hour. Adult lions are also capable of jumping 36 feet, up to 36 feet, which is crazy. That's, a, that's from like me to the soundboard. So you might think you're a healthy distance away, but they can actually pounce and you're toast. Lions hunt primarily by ambush. They're stealth hunters for the most part. They work as a team. The pride gets out there. And interestingly, usually it's the females that do the hunting. No, no comment there, just a note, observation. Um, but they, they will work as a team and they hunt by stealth, but they ambush their prey. So they try and sneak up and then at the last moment reveal themselves and ambush their prey. But they also will hunt by brute force which is to say that the pride will work again as a, as a group and they will separate a prey and corner it. And as they've got the routes of escape kind of covered, if you will, then one of the adult male lions, the biggest one usually in the, in the pride, in the, in the group, will walk in and it will be a showdown between him and the prey. And it's just going to be them one against each other as the other ones cover the exits. Interestingly, lions will hunt everything up to water buffalo 
small elephants, even giraffes um, as a group. So they, they, will, they, they will hunt outside their weight division. Adult lions can get as big as 500 pounds, but usually around 420-ish is kind of where they top out. And females a little bit smaller than that. And interestingly, lions do, in fact, devour their prey. Each adult lion, average adult lion, can ingest up to 70 pounds at a feeding. Now you think about that, that's about 20% of their weight. We think a Big Mac or a quarter pounder is a, you know, a feed. 70 pounds at a shot. This was interesting too. I'd never really done a whole lot of looking at lions, but I thought I would delve into it a little bit, and, and I didn't even think that there might be anything to do with their roar available for information, but there is actually information about lion's roar. A lion's roar can be heard up to five miles away. Now, try that at home. Scream and see if somebody five miles away can hear you. What's more, they tell me that lions roar primarily at two times. When they get up in the morning, as the day starts, just as it's dawning, and then secondly, most often before a hunt, and particularly if they're especially hungry. They roar. They hunt mainly at night. And I've never heard a lion's roar before. But as I was researching, some of the things that I came across said that it's particularly chilling, menacing, and disconcerting to hear a lion's roar at night firsthand. Now, I have no reason to doubt that. We also know that lions used to inhabit territory through the Middle East all the way up into modern Turkey, if you will. So, interesting, as we think about all of this stuff, I don't think that it is by accident that Peter chooses the example of a lion to warn us about Satan's direct attacks on us. That Satan is prowling about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And this morning it's interesting as well that I think most of his readers then that were living in that time at that place with lions in the neighborhood, if you will, and for anybody that today lives where lions inhabit the territory, the geography, I'm going to guess that those people are that much more understanding of what he's talking about, what Peter's talking about, when he says to be sober and alert. Living with them, being that much more familiar with them and their ability and their tactics, their habits, I think would lead us to be that much more sober and alert. For you and I today, we need to recognize that as Peter's talking to us about being sober and alert, he's not just throwing those lines out, those words out indiscriminately. He's saying, people, 
Guys, FBC family, friends, be diligent. Be on guard. Because Satan is out prowling about looking for someone to devour. Make sure it isn't you. This morning we're going to look at five attacks, if you will. Five direct, direct attacks that Satan uses so often. And for many of us, this is probably going to be familiar territory. For some of us, maybe it's new. But I would encourage you, again, to just listen and think about it. And as you do, to evaluate where you're at in your diligence in watching for Satan and his attacks on you. Last week, as I noted before, we said that Satan's objectives are to keep those that are not in the faith out of the faith, to leave them there in that position, keep them from coming to any knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And also, for those of us that have come to that decision then, his objective becomes to nullify us in our faith, to make us ineffective in our faith, in being a testimony and a witness for Jesus Christ. And so it's important for us to, to recognize this morning that these attacks can be launched against either group. Those that don't know Christ yet and those of us that do. So let's begin. Number one, first area that Satan uses, first attack, is that Satan undermines, undermines our worth as people. I think this is one of Satan's most common attacks as he tries to come along and undermine our individual value so that he can get us defeated before we even begin, if you will. He wants to convince us that we are insignificant people and worthless. And then he takes that in a couple of directions. That we're insignificant and worthless and therefore we are not worthy of love. That we're not of any value and therefore useless. And that on top of that then, that we're undesired by God let alone anyone else, people, but especially God, who are undesired, even shunned by Him. That we bring nothing to the table that would be of any value to God. And what's more, that we might be just so worthless that he's, He just wants to leave us alone. Like, I mean, just ignore us. Stay out of my face. You're just keeping me bogged down. And it seems to me that more and more in our society today, Satan is having success in this area, in this tactic. People losing their sense of self-worth is a growing issue in our society. We've talked about this in the past. And it's happening especially now in our youth. And we need to be out there and helping to offset that, to stand against this. Because it leads to all kinds of issues. As we begin to adopt the position that we're worthless, that we have no value, then that leads us into more and more problems. Our feelings of insignificance and lack of worth 
can result in challenges, including things like depression and anxiety, and even a state of indifference, where we begin to look at life and just think that it's meaningless, worthless, useless, and therefore I'm indifferent. That somehow, that I'm just a victim, a captive in this thing called life. And as a result, I just wander aimlessly about without any direction, without any purpose, without any objectives, and become ineffective in everything and anything. These things then, as we succumb to them, as Satan is successful in launching those things and and nurturing them in our minds, then it can lead to all kinds of secondary issues, substance abuses, drugs, alcohol, and then even suicide, which again is something that we're seeing on the increase. Satan accomplishes these things as he sows seeds of doubt in our minds with questions like this. Why would God care? Why would he love someone as small and insignificant as me? Does does God even know that I exist? In, In a universe this big, with as many people as there are in life all around me, does he even know that I'm here? Or he'll ask this question, planted in your mind. How could God use someone as worthless as you? As useless as you? This morning, we need to take a look at these things. And as I mentioned last week, we're going to try and refute them all out of God's word. As we get to know God's word, then we find the ammunition to fight those assaults that Satan brings those attacks on us that he levels at us directly, day in and day out. So let's begin looking at, first of all, the idea that we are created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So as we come to that verse, and as we understand then our origin, if you will, in Christ, in God, then we now understand where our worth is derived from. Our worth comes on that moral basis of our creation by God. Because God is infinitely valuable, and we are now His creation, we derive worth. Through Him. As part of His creation, we are therefore valuable. What's more, we are above the rest of His creation. Because we're created differently with a soul. A spirit that is eternal. And we see in the creation account, God's intent for us to then manage this creation of His, that we would be the managers of it, have dominion over it, 
So again, we understand our value as we go back and we recognize our origin in God Himself and His purpose for us. Related, but somewhat maybe as an aside this morning, this is also where we derive our identity. In Christ, in God, comes our creation. And therefore, then that's our identity, that we are created by God, that we are His creation, and therefore, our identity is secure and valuable, important. And again, this is under assault today in our world. As Satan tries to and is successfully seeding the ideas and the thoughts that our identity rests in so many other places other than Christ, other than in God. He's successfully sowing the idea that our identity rests in our physical, our appearance, and therefore that we need to look a certain way in order to be valuable as a person. And it's garbage. It's no wonder we begin to feel useless and worthless as it becomes more and more difficult for us to measure up to the physical standards that are so often placed on us by society. He tells us, Satan tells us, that our identity is in our sexuality. And we go out and try and fulfill that part of our lives only to find it worthless and hollow. And again, it brings us back down as worthless and, and useless because I'm not even to be able, to, able to succeed in this idea, this area of being identified as valuable, again, by our society in, the, in those terms. Now, lately, we're seeing him assault society, telling us that our identity is in our gender, that we find our identity in our gender, and therefore then we can pursue that in all kinds of manners and ways. And again, it's hollow, it's wrong, it's false, and it leads us again to an incorrect identity, which leads us then to a failure. It's a failure waiting to happen. Our identity is in God as His creation. That's the truth. When we look for that elsewhere, it just breeds potential for us to find challenges and issues and then the fruits of worthlessness and valuelessness in our lives. Secondly, we go beyond this as we read in our scripture. We understand that not only did God create us, but that he knows us individually. We're not just his creation, but we're known by him specifically. Psalm 139 verse 13. It's a verse that we should know, we should have this memorized. It answers so many things in our lives. It says there, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This morning, as Satan attacks you saying that you're worthless, that you're valueless, plants the seeds of doubt that God even knows you at all, you can answer back and say, no, that's, that's false, that's wrong, that's completely incorrect. Because God created me specifically. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He knows the number of hairs on your head. 
this morning. He cares about us as individuals. You're worth immeasurable value because God knows you and built you, created you specifically. Carrying on. We understand our value because we understand the price that God paid to redeem us. John 3.16, so overworked and underpaid this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This morning as Satan tells you that you're valueless, then you answer back and say, no, I am worth God's Son. Because God sent his Son to save you and I. Someday we'll look at the price that Christ paid to redeem us. As we trace that from his leaving heaven all the way to the cross and the things that he endured in between. You are invaluable to God. Always remember and don't ever forget. What's more, beyond that, God hasn't even just left us there as a valuable asset in his world, but he wants relationship with us. We are not just chattel. We're not just a special thing, but we're a special someone that he wants relationship with. 1 John 1, verses 12 and 13 say this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. This morning, God wants to know you as he knows his child. He wants to know you as you know your child, for those of you that are parents. That's the kind of relationship that he is looking for with each one of us. And that is not to be underestimated. Sometimes, again, we, we hear these things, they're so familiar to us, but we forget the practical outworkings of them in our lives. That we are not useless and worthless people. Worthless people. We're valued by God. We need to carry on. Second thing, second lie, second assault that Satan levels against us. He comes out as saying that your sin is too great, that you can't change, that you're unforgivable. And again, he employs this with far too much success. Far too much success. As he comes along and he plays on our Broken, carnal nature. And it's true. We do sin regularly. We often get trapped in sins that we repeat. But that does not nullify our value in God's mind. Nor does it nullify our potential as we come to God. So we see that 
Satan is lying to us across the spectrum here. Telling us that we're too broken and that we can't change. And both sides of the argument are false. Garbage. Look at Paul himself just quickly as an example. Paul lists himself as the chief of all sinners. And as we go back again in Scripture and we understand Paul's background, that he was the number one persecutor of the church, of Christians at the time, then we see the, the falsity of Satan's argument as we watch Paul move from the chief offender, the chief sinner, if you will, now to the chief and first and foremost missionary for God. If there was someone, as Paul argues, that could have pointed at, at, at himself as the chief of all sinners, well, Paul would have a pretty good run at it. He persecuted Christians. He went to no end to try and destroy them. But as he met God, as he came to faith, as he encountered God on that Damascus road, then all of a sudden things changed. Paul became a different person. And the point that needs to be made here at this stage of this argument is that he didn't do it himself. Paul didn't accomplish this on his own. And so there's our ammo in this fight against Satan and this argument. Number one, it doesn't matter about our past. When we are willing, first of all, to come to God, then that's, that's a deal breaker, game changer. God is interested and ready to stand with you and accept you. But what's more, he's also ready to come alongside and change you because we can't change ourselves. Look at 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 21. We are made right with God through Christ. It's not on our own. Some people, Satan will come along and say, oh, you can't come to God until you clean up your act. You can't come to him until you get some things settled, some things figured out in your life. I had somebody come to me not that long ago and said, well, I want to come to church, but there's some things that I need to deal with first. I said, well, that's, that's garbage. Come to church and we'll deal with the things. Get to know God and then deal with the junk because you're going to need his help to accomplish that. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 21, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Through Christ, that's what Christ came to accomplish, is to reconcile us to God, because we can't do it on our own. And he has committed us now to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, you and I, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Number one, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. John carries on with this same argument in 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 and 9. 
But if we walk in the light, he is in, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This morning, you are not too broken to come to God. You are not too sinful to come to God. God is waiting and ready to have you come to Him and will accept you as you come and will forgive your sins as you confess them to Him. And then moreover, will reconcile Himself to you and continue to grow you and sanctify you into the person that he wants you to be this morning. Don't succumb to Satan's lies. Number three, Satan comes at us and says that the Christian life is no fun, that God is a cosmic killjoy. He presents to us this idea that following Jesus means that there will be no freedom, only rules. He comes to us and says, that it will be no fun, just work and drudgery. He comes to us and says that your life of comfort will be gone. All that you can expect is persecution and unpopularity. And again, Jesus stands and refutes that. In John 8, verses 34 to 36, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The world doesn't understand it. The world, it doesn't compute for the world in their minds that as they sin, they are every bit as much and more a slave to their sin as we are to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to God Himself. They point at us and say, you're crazy to follow God because that's going to be drudgery, that's going to be a life of slavery. When in fact, they are themselves mired in it them up to their ears. And we see this playing out for us over and over and over and over. The world tells us that we should be chasing materialism. And yet we see people that's like Simon Cowell that says that all they need is one more dollar. After they've got the net worth into the hundreds of millions of dollars. It's not enough. We see that playing out right now in, in Bill Gates' life. As all of the Bill Gates has, we say it all the time, right? If I had Bill Gates' money, life would be a breeze. And yet he's in the middle of a divorce. Accused of affairs and so on and so forth. His money sure hasn't solved his marriage problem, has it? We see this play out in so many different respects. If you just do this, if you just be that, Life would be so great. Don't, don't, don't turn to God. That's going to be such a downer. Well, I just beg to differ. Christ continues, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Christ comes along and says, My life... The life that I call you to is not a life of slavery. My life is a life of freedom. 
I'm here to release you from all of that. I'm here to release you from the peer pressure, from the, all of the social stigmas that, that the world is trying to place on you to live up to, etc., 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 that it keep you mired and bogged down. I'm here to relieve you from that. My life is a life of freedom. You will be free indeed. What's more, he goes on and says, that I'm here for you for a life to the full. John 10.10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Don't miss it. Take him up on that. I dare you. And watch him prove it to be true in your life. As you come to him, as you submit to him, watch your life take on new meaning, new value, new purpose, new fulfillment, new fullness. What's more, Christ comes along and says that he will give us peace. The world doesn't have peace today. The world's not sleeping well. But we can. Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Satan tells us that this is the last life that we want when in fact it holds the keys to everything that we're looking for. Number four. Satan says... This is all there is. It's one and done. This life and then it's over. So live in the moment. Eat, drink, and be merry. Because tomorrow, you aren't. And again, as we come to Scripture, we see that that's categorically untrue. Matthew 25, verses 31, 32, and 46 say this. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a, she- as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, the goats. But the righteous, the sheep, will go to eternal life. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4 and 7 and 8 say this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
Satan tries to tell us that this is all there is. So kick back and relax. Enjoy it to the full because afterwards there's nothing. It just ends. God comes along and goes out of his way again to point out that that's not true. That we will continue into eternity in one place or another. In hell or in heaven with him. The choice is ours. Don't buy into the argument that it's not there and that we don't have a choice in it. Lastly, quickly, Satan tells us that we can make it on our own. And again, he's done this so adeptly. As he's made life just an exercise in comparing ourselves to everyone else around us. He's made the standard what we can see, what we look at every day out there. How do we measure up against everyone else? And as we do that, then we so often come to this conclusion, well, I'm okay. I'm all right. I'll be fine, I think. I'm definitely doing better than them. If there's this hell thing, well, I can tell you who's going to go over there. So I'm hoping I'm good. And we're content to ride it out. Gambling on that. And again, we're just simply wrong. Satan is feeding us another complete falsehood. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, every one of us, has fallen short of the standard that God's looking for. It's not just some of us. It's not just non-Christians. All of us have fallen short of this. James 2.10, James says this, For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. So we're all in trouble. None of us is just going to make it on our own. Romans 6.23 says, if you've broken the law, if you've missed God's standard, the wages of sin, that's called sin, the wages of sin is death. But Paul goes on. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The fact is, we're not going to make it on our own. We're not good enough. But God has given us a gift through His Son. That as we come to Him, as we place our faith in Him, then, through Christ, we now can meet God's standard and can be accepted. We can't make it on our own, but we can through Jesus Christ. This morning, I don't know where you're at today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ or if you're a, an unbeliever that's just checking this out and trying to figure out if there's any merit to this. But I would encourage you, take a look at your life. 
and see if you recognize any of these attacks from Satan. They come in different forms, but so often come from those same roots. Do you see him attacking you this morning? That you're not worth anything? Oh, that I could never volunteer at church because I'm just not quite there yet? I'm not quite good enough? I don't know enough yet? That God wouldn't be interested in you anyway? Even if you were willing because you're just too broken? And that God comes along and says, those I call, I will equip. So come to me. Let me deal with that. This goes on. And remember one more thing. One more thing about lions. Lions prey primarily on the weak, the sick, and the isolated. The weak, the sick, and the isolated. So as you look at your life today and as you examine yourself and you see, as you see maybe that Satan is trying to attack in one of these ways or, or a derivative thereof, where are you today? Where are you living? Are you making God a priority? Are you in the Word? Are you participating with other believers? This, this morning I want to challenge you make church attendance a priority. Online, in person if you can. Last week I challenged you to make the word, scripture a priority. This week I want to challenge you to make church attendance, fellowship with one another, other believers a priority. Even, even if you're not a Christian yet, we'd love to have you. Be thrilled to have you. Come, listen, ask questions. I'd go so far as to say this too. That we can't just do it once a week. That we have to have more connection than that. So I, I would encourage you, think about joining a small group. Even better, think about starting a small group. We're going to launch this hard in the fall, but we want to launch it right now even yet. Find some friends. Get together over the summer. Start to just connect with them. Start to share with one another. Build into one another. And watch how that, that will help you withstand those attacks from Satan. As you're no longer isolated, as you're no longer sick, as you're no longer weak in your faith. Get involved. Talk to Pastor Bruce. Let him know, hey, just make that commitment. I'm planning to be here at church. I'm going to be in my word, but I want to, start, I want to be in a, in a group. Call him. Let him know. He'll be able to come alongside and help you as you do that and resource you with some things as well. This morning... Satan is trying to attack us, each one of us, in so many different ways. Let's be ready. 
Let's resist him. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. And watch as God gives us success. Let's pray. Father, this morning again, Lord, as we go into this week ahead, recognizing maybe, perhaps, hopefully a little bit better, how Satan tries to detour us, derail us, overcome us. Father, I would pray that you would come alongside of us, that you would bring these things to mind, that you would help us to grow in our knowledge of the word, and that you would help us to connect even more to the body. That we would be a part of the herd, your herd of children. That we would be living as a part of that, helping one another to overcome these attacks from Satan as he tries to level them against us. Go with us into this week. Help us to follow up. Help us to have the courage, the motivation to take that step. For now, I ask these things, I pray them all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you again for being here. We're going to do the regular dismissal thing. Before we do that, though, just to, uh, for anybody here that is a parent or a grandparent of any of the kids that are in grade six in your world, just want to encourage you, talk to them about coming out to youth next week, May the 30th. Uh, if they're in grade six, going into grade seven next year, they're going to be into our youth uh, zone, if you will, that age group. And so they're invited to come out and check out youth for the first time next week, May 30th. So check into that. If you have questions, call Pastor Avery at the church here, uh, and or you can call the office, and, and they might be able to help you, but Avery for sure could, and register for them, uh, them for that and, and have them come out. That's going to be great. Uh, don't forget to register for church next week. We're excited. We're hoping that we're going to see some changes and we maybe have some more people here. So uh, pray about that. Continue to pray for that. And until then, have a great week. Enjoy your holiday tomorrow. 